Our second lesson for this morning comes from Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 29. There's a story that begins in Antioch and then ends up in Jerusalem. Listen for God's word to speak to you. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed in the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary for them to be circumcised in order to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, we know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as God did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, God has made no distinction between them and us. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. The whole assembly kept silence and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, My brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take from among them a people for God's name. This agrees with the words of the prophets, as it is written, After this I will return and I will rebuild the dwelling of David, which has fallen from its ruin. I will rebuild it and I will set it up so that all other peoples may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord who has been making these things known from long ago, Therefore, I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God. But we should write to them to abstain uh, only from things polluted by idols and from fornication and from whatever has been strangled from the blood and from blood. For in every city for generations past, Moses has had these, those who proclaim him, for he has made read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then the apostles and the elders, with the consent of the whole church, decided to choose men from among their members to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, 
They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leaders among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the believers of Gentile origin in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that certain persons who have gone out from us, though with no instructions from us, have said things to disturb you and have unsettled your minds, we have decided unanimously to choose representatives and send them to you along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to impose on you no further burden than these essentials that you have seen from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what was strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for this day, for your Holy Spirit poured out upon even us. Fill us all with your Holy Spirit. That we would hear not human words, but hear your word for us this day. Bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts. May they be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So there is a set of internet YouTube videos. They haven't made a whole lot lately, but several years ago they were pretty popular, called Epic Rap Battles of History. So the setup for this, it's quite clever actually, is you take two historical figures and then later on they added some fictitious characters as well, but two historical characters and they will have a rap battle. They'll wrap their sort of back, background and, and the things that their statements. And they call out the other person in a particular sort of rap, rap battle kind of way. It's interesting. It's fun. It's not PG, so just in case you want to, just to warn you. Um, but it's fun. It's interesting. And it's what I think about when I read over the Council of Jerusalem. We have two opposing sides, and they are talking at each other. They are trying to figure out what is the truth. Where should we go from here? So in this corner, at just over four cubits high, the bearded rabbi from Nazareth. He's the brother of Jesus, you can tell, because he's the only other blonde-haired, blue-eyed man in Palestine. Thank you so much for, for laughing at that joke. All right. It is James, the brother of Jesus. And in this corner, the apostle from Tarsus, 
You always recognize him because he's running out of cities followed by an angry mob. Word is, he doesn't like women, and they certainly do not like him. It's the Apostle Paul, also known as Saul. And they come up against each other, and they are arguing, and they are fighting. Who is right? And we have seen this sort of, this challenge and this debate as we are reading through the book of Acts. But let's just think through these things. Jesus' disciples, the people of Jerusalem and Judea, had been in expectation for Messiah, the Anointed One. They are waiting and longing, yes, for a prophet after sort of the likeness of Moses, but really they're looking for the descendant of David. That one who will come and take up the throne. You see, these have been a people who have been under the rule of various empires since the exile and are now under the empire of Rome. They have no true national identity. They are allowed their own king by Caesar, but their king doesn't have much interest in the Jewish religion. So the priests and the religious leaders have become sort of the de facto leaders of the people, and yet there is much talk about their corruption. These are people longing for a new king, a new national identity. And so when Jesus comes, they say, this is the Messiah. When they welcome him into Jerusalem, it is as a victorious king. And while Jesus is Messiah, he did not come as a victorious king, kicking Rome out. He came in as a servant. He died on the cross an ignoble death. And he rose again. And he told the disciples, now called apostles, those who are sent out, that this was the plan the whole time. That this kingdom would not be an earthly kingdom, but a kingdom as a ground swell coming up. But even in Jesus' ministry, the, the primary focus was the Jewish people. In some of the Gospels, Jesus even will say things like, I have not been sent to those outside, but to those who are inside. While he speaks to certain Gentiles, it is remarkable. He marks how amazing this faith of this Gentile is that I've not seen such faith within Jerusalem. His focus is for the Jewish people. And so naturally, the apostles are focusing on the Jewish people, telling them of the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah that they have been waiting for for thousands of years. But then the Holy Spirit starts working and does some different things. We have read in Acts how Jesus told his disciples 
to go to Jerusalem, yes, to Judea, but also Samaria to the ends of the earth. We saw how the persecution of the church sent people out of Jerusalem going to the Samaritans. And that by the the blessing and the prayer of Paul, not Paul, Peter and John, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon these Samaritans. Then Philip, the one who brought that gospel to the Samaritans, went down and spoke to an Ethiopian eunuch. Probably a proselyte, someone who had converted to Judaism from another place. But he also received the good news of the gospel and was baptized. Then Peter had this vision of a sheet coming down from heaven and all of these animals that were unclean for his people to eat and God's voice saying, do not call what I have made clean, unclean. And he was summoned by Cornelius, not only a Roman, but a Roman centurion. And as Peter proclaimed the gospel to him, the gospel which he thought even was for his own people. All of Cornelius' house listened and obeyed, and the Holy Spirit came down unbidden and filled them, just as the Spirit had come down on Pentecost. Folks, Folks from Cyrene and Cyprus began to directly proclaim the good news to the Gentiles and from Antioch. Paul and Barnabas were sent out all around the known world to proclaim specifically not to the Jewish folks, but to the Gentiles. But of course, this causes some contention. The traditionalists, specifically those from James's faction, are saying that these believers need to adopt the whole law. Every part of it. Shorthand for that is that they need to be circumcised as well to take on the sign of the covenant. That's a hard sell. But Paul and Barnabas say no. It's not about obeying the law. It's about grace through Jesus Christ. So they go around and they're telling people, just believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And there are others who are coming in in every town that they leave saying, no, 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 okay, all of those things are good, but you also have to do this and this and this. Things have finally come to a head. Finally, together, people come together in Jerusalem and they say, we need to figure out an answer to this. Paul and Barnabas say this way. James says this way. What do we do? Do we listen to our traditions? Do we follow in the ways that we have always been going? Or do we see the way the Holy Spirit is leading? There is no small debate. Those of us who have been in ecclesiastical meetings can imagine what this might be like. 
This was far before Robert, so he was not as orderly as the chairperson recognizes Paul the Apostle speaking against the motion. It is raucous, I imagine. People are yelling. Emotions are high. They are screaming at each other. They are yelling at each other. They are passionate. Passionate that those who become believers must follow the law. Passionate that those who become believers, as well as us, are only saved by grace. And James stands up. James, the brother of Jesus, who as far as Paul is concerned, has sent all of those people after him every place that he went to tell people that they have to be circumcised. And James says, you're right. This gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ is not about what we do. It's not about works. It's about faith. So we'll give them some suggestions, a few things that they should do or not do, which, by the way, Paul then goes and circumvents and says, hey, you don't even have to do that. but that they are saved like we are by grace. This is not the last time this debate would be had. Debates during the Reformation. Debates all over the place around this basic question, is it by law or is it by grace? And the answer of Acts is, and broadly the New Testament, it's about grace. Not that law is not important. Not that we have to... <laughs> live by a certain moral code. But that that code should be turned upon ourselves. We should examine ourselves and our own actions and lift it up to the law and see, are we living according to what God wants us to do? But that we not interpret it for someone else. Or that we work with them to understand and discern where God's will and work is going on in their lives. But discounting people, shunning people, othering people because they don't line up to our standards is not our call. It's above our pay grade. God gives grace, and you know how we know that? We gather every Sunday morning 
And in our tradition, we gather together and pray. We pray in silence by ourselves and we gather together and pray together a unison prayer of confession. We recognize to God and to one another that we are broken and sinful people, that we have fallen short of the glory of God. We know that God gives grace because God would even dare to give grace to us. And we know all our secrets. So if God has given grace to us, why can't God give grace to them? And so every Sunday we are sent out into the world to bear the good news of Jesus Christ that all might come to believe. We go as broken and sinful creatures, people from an unclean or people of unclean lips come from a people of unclean lips. And bear the grace and the good news of Jesus Christ. This is our call. Amen.